Hey everyone, this is JP. Real quick before we start today, I want to tell you about an app called Train Your Ears. If you listened to the EQ episode, you heard me talk about Train Your Ears. And it's an app that really helped me to get my ear around the frequency spectrum. So if you're struggling to hear 200 hertz versus say 300 or 400 hertz, I highly recommend this app to you. Go to www.trainyourears.com slash MPT as in music production talks. And if you buy it via that link, we get a small kickback and we would really appreciate the support. Thanks so much. And on with the show. Hello and welcome. Each week on Music Production Talks, join me, Chris Jacoby, and me, JP Ruggieri, as we skip over teaching you how to make fat beats and record screaming electric guitars. Not that there's anything wrong with that. And instead, we're going to jump straight into having nuanced conversations about producing music that actually says something. If you're a musician that wants to discover how to actually record your songs in a way that you want them to sound, or you're a producer that's looking to hone your skills. Or maybe you just want to hear interesting stories from the other side of the glass, so to speak. You are in the right place. All right, let's get on with the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Music Production Talks. My name is JP Ruggieri, and we're here with my good friend, Chris Jacoby. How's it going, Chris? It's going pretty well. I apologize for my crappy audio this week. I'm a Pro Tools Pro, Pro Tools list at the moment, so I'm on my AirPods. So, yeah. But uh, other than that, doing well. Uh, getting ready for this move. Buying boxes, lining up moving trucks. Oh my god! It's getting boy. real, baby. Yeah. Awesome. Um, How are you? I'm good. Still over here in London, and it is the Jubilee. It is the Queen's Jubilee. So the city is getting. Uh, a little, little wild and crazy. Is that a? Is that her birthday or what is that? I, I you know, I should know because I'm here. But I believe every ten years they have a celebration, uh, um, for her, uh, for her, um, her being in power to to celebrate her. And uh, so I, I believe this is uh, maybe the seventh one, seventy years of. Yeah, I Queen. think uh, Melindy, my wife, went to that. Um, when she was like 15 or something, oh, wow. maybe yeah. she was like 10 and she met, uh, the queen's mom. So you have to like shake her hand or something. That's amazing. Take a picture. Wow. Of her. Yeah. That's really cool. I'm, uh, notoriously not good with big crowds. I don't like them at all. And mm. so I will be doing everything I can to avoid the Jubilee. While I'm here. Yeah. I don't, I don't blame you. <laughs> And, uh, That's weird to me because you're so tall. I feel like you'd just be kind of over the crowd and be fine. Whereas I'm like down in the thick of it. I can't see what's yeah, happening. True. Yeah. I'm always just like, uh, oh. yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Anyways. Uh, but we are talking today about. Well, I was going to say Radiohead, but it's not really, I mean, that's one of the topics we're going to get. Why don't you, why don't you introduce what we're talking about? Okay, so last month in May was the 25th anniversary of OK Computer uh, by Radiohead, if you don't know. One of the greatest albums of all time, so you should know that. 
Um, and the BBC did this big, like, I think they called it like the deep dive on OK Computer, whatever. And they did all these interviews with the band. And there was an interview that's still up for now. I think it'll go down at some point this month. But I am recording. I think it's up for, 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 yeah, it's up for two more weeks, I think. Yeah. So I'm recording my own copy. So if anyone needs an illegal copy of the interview after the fact, just hit me up and I'll get you a link. Um, But anyway, they, they're interviewing Nigel Godrich, the producer of that album. And I think all but the first two Radiohead albums. And um, it's pretty cool just hearing kind of the behind the scenes of the process of recording that album and kind of what he remembers about each, he goes through each song and kind of points out notable things about the production and the process. And it was uh, pretty great to listen to. So I think we're going to chat about that and maybe, and like what we learned from it and stuck out to us. And then maybe also talk about some other Nigel Godrich productions because he's made some pretty great records over the years. And uh, yeah, we'll just see kind of where the conversation takes us, but yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to let you kick this off because, and I know, uh, the both of us are fans, but, uh, you are, you are of the two, the bigger fan than I am. If there's any band that I'm kind of like fanboyish about, it's probably Radiohead, but I mean, it's, I don't know. Um, yeah. So I, I think I discovered this album at some point in high school. Um, I play, I'm a bass player and I was talking to a friend of mine, his like older brother about bass playing. Cause he's a bass player and he's like, Oh yeah, you got to hear this song airbag by Radiohead, which is the first track on this album. And it has this really bizarre bass part that just like, um, there's kind of a drum beat and then the bass just kind of comes in and starts and stops and starts and stops. It's like this little boom, 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 boom. It's like, it's really random. But it kind of like made that song. And I think that's kind of when I got into the album. Um, but uh, do you remember when you first heard it? Oh, man. I don't. It's just always been there. <laughs> it's just always <laughs> been like. It's just always thing. been. Um, oh, man, I don't. Uh, I don't remember. But I. I uh that's a good question. No, I really don't. But it's uh, it's really good, and I like yeah. it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I was like, what, what can you say? Um, so anyway, uh, listening to this interview, um, it sounded like a really interesting process. Like, I guess they'd made um, some – the previous two albums in proper studios, um, and they were kind of looking to – kind of get out of that environment. So they went down to a fruit farm and they just got this like shed basically is what it sounds like. And uh, I guess they had some money from the record label. And instead of spending that on studio time, they went and bought all their own equipment, uh, which they're still using. And if you search like Nigel Godrich studio picture or whatever, you'll see it. It's like a totally mobile rig like everything's racked up and can roll around and so they can take it wherever they want and so they set up in this fruit farm and what i thought was really interesting you know i feel like the records that i've worked on 
pre-production is like, we have a few conversations about things and then we kind of just start recording. And it sounded like in this instance, like they went down there for like three months and they were set up and they could record things, but it was really like they were kind of rehearsing and hashing out the songs. And uh, there was a lot of like trying different versions of things. Whereas I feel like I'm always kind of like, well, this is the version I'm working on. And I don't, you know, every now and then there's like a, a version that gets scrapped or whatever, but it sounded like they were just really exploring the songs uh, before they were ever properly recording. But it does sound like some of the backing tracks and things from those, you know, sessions made it on the album. But they kind of, so they did this kind of three months in the, in the rehearsal space. And then uh, they rented this like mansion and moved all the stuff in there for, it sounded like six weeks or something. And that was when they kind of did the proper recording of the album. But um, I guess what stands out to me, just like the massive amount of time they spent on this. And it sounded like they also did some string overdubs at other studios and pianos and stuff. And I kind of added it up and they spent at least like 11 days per song. Oh my God. Working on this. And I just contrast that to sometimes how fast I have to work. Like it seems like most things that I, that aren't like a, just a documentation of like a band playing. It's like, but you're really like crafting something yeah. Like if I don't have like three days per song, like it's really challenging to do that. But like 11, like, oh my gosh, that is so much time to experiment and try different things and throw out an idea completely and start over from scratch. And I feel like that's probably one of the reasons that this album is so like deep and, um, is really good top to bottom is that they just had time to make it that good. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, did you, what, what did you kind of pick up on in the, the interview that sounded interesting to you? Well, the, uh, the first thing that struck out a chord in me, because this is an area that I've been passionate about for many, many years. And you've heard me talk about it before when we were talking about the Feist album. Yeah. Uh, metals, um, was how Nigel was just talking about the importance of the location that they recorded in. Right. And um, he was just talking about how if they had done it in, you know, like a multi-million dollar studio, uh, it wouldn't have come out like it did. You know, they, they, and just the time that they spent shopping around spaces like that really stuck out to me. It's not like they were like, oh, we need a space in the mountains or whatever, so we're just going to go here. Oh, here's a space in the mountains. We'll, we'll go there. Like, Now, they went and like, visited multiple places to get a feeling yeah. of them and, and to see how they sounded and um, picked one that was right and then um, moved all the gear there. You know, it, this is kind of an idea that Chris and I had a while back um, – course we're going to have our own studio space now starting this summer um but this idea of like starting a production team where where we could have a remote uh remote um what, rig, rig. Yeah. yeah yeah thank you and if uh you know an artist came to us to make a record then we could we could find a place to rent and then for like a month or whatever and i don't know we should still 
toy around with that idea. I, I really, I love that idea. I, I, I think that location is such a, I don't know, such a underlooked part of the recording process. And right. so many of my, favorite records are done that way and also done in a way of um of full uh full full immersion as they did with this one um which takes a certain group of people i think um who are all like-minded and equally as invested in um in the in the music and equally as uh inspired by it and one one thing that nigel said that i thought was really cool is he was like i was very lucky to find them when i did and they were very lucky to find me when they did but that was a really cool thing to like hear somebody say not in like a cocky way but just like yeah that that's that's what it that's what that's why it that's why the whole thing happened and uh uh yeah i don't know i think uh just that idea of um going away and um, being in an inspired location and then the full immersion of it. Um, yeah. It's just like the, the focus of it. I've, I've thought about that a lot. Cause like what's really driving me crazy with kind of the, it feels like the default process now is this, like you kind of start and then there's just all this back and forth and waiting a long time before, recording things and sending things back and forth on Dropbox. And it's so like disjointed. And I just think about the best, the best recording experiences I've had. Uh, I did make a record where I moved all my stuff, you know, to, it was to the band's house or whatever, but it was like, all right, we're doing this for like three weeks or a month or whatever. And and we did that at my house a lot too, where like the band was staying here or really close at an Airbnb or something. And then, uh, you know, we're eating all our meals together. We're cooking. Yeah. Like if we hit a wall, we go like play video games or watch TV or go for a hike. Or if half the team's feeling like, you know what, I need a break. Like the other half can work on something that they're working. And it's just kind of, you're just like living yeah. this process. And I think something that was brought up to me a while back. Um, I talked to a friend of mine and during COVID they made a very like drop boxy record cause they just had to do it that way. And they were like, you know, what's weird about this record. Like it's, it's fine, but I don't feel like I don't have a memory of the experience and the place I was. And he's like, whereas when we've done albums, you know, in a very immersed, immersed way, it's like, oh yeah, I remember when we finally like got it on that song or when we put down that part or there's like a memory to it. And I don't know if that necessarily comes across in the recording, but I feel like it's a much better experience for everyone involved than, you know, send me a file and I'll make you some notes and send it back. And then you, you know, it's just like, that is so uninspiring well, and one thing that lead, yeah, one one thing that struck me about the interview too was just that they were talking about. Um, There's a lot of talk about um, being inspired by B- "Bitches Brew" by Miles Davis. Yeah, and um, not really so much. They and like they, I mean, I'm sure that they were, but they weren't. They didn't really say that 
so specifically that it, it was the music per se that was inspired them. It was more just like the feeling of of the record, which yeah. um, I thought was that really struck with me too because first of all like being inspired by the feeling of a record is i think a really fresh and um maybe like appropriate way to like be thinking in terms of things instead of like oh i love that chord per- that chord progression or or something it's it's more of like the the actual feeling that they were able to capture and that perfectly ties into what we're saying because i think that the way that records get made a lot today that's the thing that gets lost that's not really tangible um like you can't really define what that is it's more of just like it's just a feeling like you know you put on a record like okay computer and the whole thing it just feels like it just has a feeling to it you know like of, of, of a time and a space yeah. And um, you don't really get that as much when you're piecing a record together slowly in different locations and stuff. I just feel like, um, I don't know what that is, but I just know mm-hmm. that it doesn't really come across that way. Yeah. Does that well, make sense? And, yeah, and I think some of it is like, um, I feel like it's pretty common for, when you're recording for people to go, Hey, here's a reference track. I want it to feel like this or sound like this or whatever. And I've noticed like a lot of artists, all of their reference tracks are kind of in their genre and like, yeah, sound kind of like them already. Whereas when Radiohead's talking about bitches brew, which is complete, completely different than Radiohead. And then like, I know the Beatles white album, was important and talk about ripping off a chord progression. They totally ripped off sexy Sadie on karma police, but um, it's like, it sounds like the same song for like the first eight bars or something. Right, right. But, um, and then who else were they? Um, oh, I can't remember his name. They, they mentioned this kind of like um, singer from the late sixties. Um, but it, yeah, just like they're all over the place and DJ shadow. Like, and I think yeah, if yeah. you come at it with like, references that are that far apart from each other you can end up with this cool uh you know collision of all these different ideas like if it sounds like bitches brew but mixed with like dj shadow beats and like you know it's like you wouldn't get there if they were like yeah we just kind of said we want to sound like you know another 90s guitar band that already kind of sounds like radiohead you know what i mean well, yeah, and I I think too it's like they're they're not putting on bitches brew and saying like we want this instrument to sound like that. I think right. that's what I'm trying to say. Like a lot a lot of the times, like when a reference track comes up, it's like I love this guitar sound. I want I, I want you to make your guitar sound like that. Yeah. Instead of like what they talked about with the bitches brew album was like the kind of like the feeling of that record and and wanting to capture that instead of just it's more of like a i don't know i guess like a macro thing versus a micro thing yeah yeah um yeah i don't know that that really stood out to me i think i i even i even texted you about it i was just like man i know (laughs) like i know that's so great you know like what a what a great way to be thinking uh 
I don't know. That was kind of huge for me when I listened to it. It really kind of stood out. Uh, yeah. Um, and then you start thinking about, as you're listening to records, like, yeah, what what is the feeling that this is giving me? Because all albums do have a feeling to them. Uh, if you if you really tune into like how that's making you feel, um, most of them have like a co- cohesive feeling through if they're good, like a cohesive feeling through them. And um, yeah, trying to tune into that and and maybe pull some inspiration from that is is you know a fresh approach to take. I don't know, just a thought. Yeah, for sure. Um, um, what else? What else kind of stood out to you? Um, I just had a thought. What was it? Hold on. Oh, yeah. Okay. So one of the things that stood out to me is it sounded like there was a lot of editing on this album, mm-hmm. but it sounds different than I think how people approach it in the Pro Tools world. It sounded like there was a lot of like, hey, let's let's get some like live takes of the band that feel a certain way maybe they're loose maybe they're tight whatever and then like and not even top to bottom with the song like hey let's get a good feeling like verse to pre-chorus okay we got that okay let's do a completely different feel for the chorus and the bridge or whatever. and then splice all those things together and i think there's probably a lot more happy accidents that happen when there's kind of these two or three different chunks edited together versus all right let's just play it top to bottom or let's put down a click track and just build this thing piecemeal though it i mean it did sound like maybe they did some of that on like paranoid android but it was like the first half they built a loop and then the second half they played it as a band and like the third part they did something else and it's like um i just think um one that's really interesting and then two like it's probably a, a much less stressful way to do something like, Hey, let's just, let's just get this part right. And then we'll worry about this part later as mm. opposed to everyone has to be perfect top to bottom. And if you're not, we're going to replace your part or let's really just focus on the drums. And I don't know, it just seemed like a, a looser approach. Um, yeah, it, it was like it, it, there, there was even that one track. I forget which one, but they were just saying that the whirly got played by two, two different people. Oh, I yeah, think I think it was a uh, subterranean homesick yeah, blues. Yeah, like I think that's the first half's Tom. First and the, yeah, yeah, I thought that was so funny. I was just like, man, and I, I never even noticed that before. Like it never until it I never occurred back, to me either. Yeah, yeah, until I went back and listened to it, and then all of a sudden it was like so obvious. Right, um, and. Yeah, so I, I think there's, I think that the trends I'm seeing when I read about a lot of my favorite records is one, they're not usually made in recording studios. They're made in a a makeshift mobile kind of studio setup. Yeah, they're uh, they take a lot of time. <laughs> yeah. uh, people are you know focused and all that. Uh, I think the other thing that sticks out is like there is some element of people playing together even if it's not a pure documentation at least like starts there or 
even if it starts with a drum loop, there's group percussive overdubs or something like there's some element of, you know, people playing music together, which is what music traditionally has been. And then the other thing that jumped out to me is this kind of marriage of lo-fi and hi-fi. Like, and it made me think of Tom Waits, like, it's like a Neumann U47 through a Neve and a vintage LA-28, a, a two-inch tape machine, but he's like singing through a megaphone. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> or like, like all, you know, this, like, if you look at the Radiohead stuff, like it's, it's all top-notch gear, but then they're recording like some recording off Tom's like, you know, dictaphone or whatever you call it, like, which would be like the equivalent of somebody recording some little like voice memo, but then you like <laughs> patch yeah. it in through a like really nice mic or something. Right. Um, and I just love that blend or, or like they, you know, they were talking about like the airbag drums, like they got Phil to just like play this stuff and then they like chopped it up in a sampler and then like dumped it back on the table. Like it's very like unprecious use of all the technology you know it's not like we're making a lo-fi record or we're making a hi-fi record it's just like we're making a record and we have all the the you know colors available to choose from and i think yeah, that's just it, a way more interesting approach than like you know one or the other if that makes sense also just like the amount of uh, or like the lack of fear of of just like you know just totally going for it or, sc- or completely scratching an idea like you said and uh tearing it apart and um i forget what song they were talking about but uh one one song where uh maybe it's um i i can't remember which one it was but they were talking about building the the bass and the drum part and and how like how long it took them and they were up all night doing it and they Mm-hmm. you know went down one avenue for hours and hours and hours until it you know became a dead end and then just go back and start the whole journey over again like i don't know god it would be great to make a record like that and that, and to have the the mental space which i think is where the getting uh, like away comes from you know right. and the full immersion and then also just having the time you know financially speaking in order to right. do that too is like amazing it's great so so yeah cool. and that's something that i've heard uh maybe it was on the wilco documentary about yankee Ho- hotel foxtrot which we talked about on another episode mm-hmm. but he was he was talking about like um you know like we built this song or whatever this is our little sandcastle that we made and if we want to come up and kick it over we can't you know what i mean it's like there's no reason we have to keep this and there's yeah. no reason we, you know, and well, and this is another thing that kind of came, he, he talked, this is Jeff Tweedy I'm talking about still, uh, talked about like, man, if I don't put all this like sonic stuff around it, it just, everything feels like a folk song. And mm-hmm. I think about that track on the Radiohead album, um, X, is it exit music for a film? Yeah. And it was like, Tom just like sat down and played it and they were going for this feel like Johnny Cash. Like right. this really loud vocal oh, with, with some vocal, yeah. reverb around it. But then it was like, okay, we got that. And this feels great. We have the core of it. Okay, now what do we want to do with it? And they bring in this huge band thing with this like really sloppy kind of drum thing over it and this fuzz bass. And like, 
they didn't have to keep it as this little folk song, you know, but it was like, all right, this is great. We could probably just put it out as Tom playing his guitar right. and singing, but let's blow it up because we can and let's let it yeah. be loose like his original take. And as opposed to like, okay, well, that's not going to work. So Tom, you need to play it to a click track. So we can bring <laughs> the drums in later. Like that would have totally sucked, right. you know? Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. So that was, that was pretty cool. Uh, the other thing that, that stuck out to me is whenever he meant, whenever Nigel mentioned this song, Electroneering, you could tell he was like, I just don't like that song and I don't like how it turned out. <laughs> and he, one of the things he said, he was like, you, you have to hate your past work in order to move. Oh, that was so great. Forward. I love that. That made me feel so good. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I always feel like horrible about the stuff I made, you know, and it's right, like, of course. Yeah. yeah, but that's where, that's where you were. And that doesn't mean that other people won't connect with it, but you've grown as a, an artist and a musician. And the next thing you're going to, you're going to do is going to like incorporate all the lessons you've learned and the ideas you've had since then and the new music that you've heard. And, um, I just love that idea of like not really repeating yourself and, yeah, moving forward, you know. Yeah, absolutely. What 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 are what what are your some of your favorite uh, n- not not Nigel Godrich albums? Um, Air. What is yeah. what's the name of that album? Talkie um, Walkie. Yeah, wait, Talkie Walkie, right? Not Walkie. Yeah, Talkie. I think it's Talkie, Talkie Walkie. Walkie. So good. Which I was, man, like record. I've been a, we've both been fans of that for a long time. I didn't even know he did that until like I didn't last either. week. And I was like, yeah. you gotta be kidding. Um, yeah. And that, and that's one of those albums. Like it's completely different than okay. Computer, you know, yeah. it's like, it's a totally different band and it's not like he's, I think what I like about him is he doesn't, he has some things that he does like recording wise and mixing wise and whatever but he doesn't like come in and put a big stamp on things. Like there's certain producers. It's like, it always just sounds like their record with a new band or a new artist or whatever. And like talkie walkie sounds completely different, but it sounds like a perfect representation of that band. Mm. And then like, yeah, I noticed some things that tend to happen on Nigel Godrich records. Like, thing i was telling you is like it there tends to be like a drum part like the rhythm is very like it's like they spend a lot of time just find finding the exact right bass and drum part like they don't build it up with like all these different overdubs or whatever it's like no this is just it and it's great and like um you know especially on something like air where there's a lot of programmed elements like it could very easily just like this loop on top of this loop on top and it's like no there's like a kick sample a snare sample and a hi-hat and they're dead simple yeah it's very well orchestrated um so that one's great back sea change of course classic so good um and again totally different it's like this kind of i mean it's ambient i guess but it's like it's it's, folky. it's a pretty it's a pretty natural sounding record though I think and like it sounds it sounds l- l- like a band in the in the yeah in the it, yeah I think yeah. some of the EQ and stuff does not sound particularly natural but it's like it's definitely a band in a room and it yeah. feels like a captured performance um, 
And then I, I really like the records he made with Travis. I think they were like right before Sea Change, but after OK Computer. And same kind of thing. Like it just sounds like that band. Like they're just mm. just roll the tape and they're just playing top to bottom, which is totally different than OK Computer, which is this like, you know, built up, edited together yeah. thing. And so it's like he's not he's not totally like a one trick pony or like committed to one particular approach. It's just whatever that band is and that album and where they are and where he is. And it's always changing and evolving, you know? Yeah. I was thinking about, um, I'm still working through, I'm almost done with it now. It's, it's a big book. It's like 500 pages, but the bill, the bill for biography that came out a month or two ago. Um, yeah. There's this part in it where, um, they're just talking about how Bill Frizzell as you, you know, you really can't even call him a jazz guitar player because he's, you know, he's just all over the place. And that's why he has such a signature sound. And, um, you know, talking about how passionate that he is about not being a jazz snob. And um, mm-hmm. he talks about how, uh, you know, it could be really difficult sometimes to be totally honest with himself about the music that has, um, been a big part of 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 his life. Whether it was something that was like uh, uh, intentional or not, and so apparently there's this recording of him doing a Barbra Streisand song at the Village Vanguard in New York, and he starts playing, and some lady starts cracking up, and he stops the song, and he goes up to the mic, and he goes. Do you think I'm joking right now? (laughs) Just like, wow, it's amazing. But, you know, uh, uh, after they said that quote, they were, you know, listed another quote from him just talking about how it can be difficult sometimes, especially like in the jazz world, because I guess that's kind of where he resides a little bit. I don't really know. Mm -hmm. Um but uh, because there is that sense of like, you know, those uh, the uh, barriers that that get put up around music yeah. genres. But then when you think about the brilliance of Bill Frizzell and the brilliance of OK Computer, it's like these people are coming at it from just you know everything is just music. Like I I remember in high school, like the the whole thing about like being called a fag if you listen to certain types of music or uh-huh. remember that that whole thing like when you were younger i remember or like in middle school and i remember getting to a certain age and just being like i, re- I remember specifically saying to people like what like what because i like this song <laughs> yeah not that there's anything wrong with that to quote our introduction at seinfeld um but no seriously it's like i i think that there's um you know just as we should all be striving to be in humanity of, of like full acceptance of whoever it is you are as a person and a human being. I think it's the same thing with music too. And uh, if there's anything that I've learned from like this book that I've been reading about Frizzell and, and this interview about, okay, computer, it's like just trying to um, pull like what you can from yourself about as being like honest as you can with yourself of where it is that you're coming from. And that that could be a really hard thing to do and a vulnerable thing to do 
just as it is with being yourself as a human like that's that's really vulnerable too like but that's what music is is like trying to you know hopefully be as pure and honest as you can with your music as a right. yourself yeah it's making me think of i can't remember the exact line but it's in hey jude where he talks about like the person who plays it cool like makes their world a little colder and i i feel like there's a lot of like every genre and every scene of musicians there are like these are the cool things that we listen to and we don't listen to this you know like we don't listen yeah. to pop music because it's crappy but it's like i don't know like there's some pop music i just listen to and i'm like completely amazed by like how the heck do you make this like it's just just a totally different world like yeah um one of my favorite things to do which i don't do often enough is uh actually listen on shuffle mode like i'm such a big album person that i'm kind of always listening yeah. to albums but when right. you listen on shuffle mode especially if you can like shuffle different genres together like you just hear the vast differences between them you know mm. but you might stumble upon like whoa like this kind of sound would never appear in this other song i just listened yeah. to but wouldn't that be really cool if it did if it, you know yeah yeah oh that's uh, great and Man. so I think that's something I really want to, you know, like every album you can kind of make an experiment. Like I just heard, uh, uh, it was on Peter Gabriel's Intruder, which is when the, the gated, like the big gated snare thing was invented. It, I think it became like notable when Phil Collins did it or whatever, but he played drums on that album and like the next album they'd really dialed it in, which was like within the air tonight and all that stuff. But, um, the reason it happened was he came into the studio on day one and he said it was completely like not premeditated. Like he just woke up and he's like, let's do this. And he just came in and goes, I don't want any symbols on this album. And like, if they'd had symbols, like that sound never would have happened because like they would have been washing all over the place and the big roomy thing wouldn't have worked. But because they weren't using symbols, like they stumbled on this sound, which then became like a plague of all eighties music. But, um, <laughs> So great. <laughs> it just made me think like how cool it is to go, Hey, like l these are the parameters that we're going to create and not necessarily like, this is the genre we're working in, but like, Hey, we're not gonna, we're not going to do the obvious thing where we put a 16th note shaker in the chorus or whatever. Um, and it made me think like, wouldn't it be cool to make like a, almost like a recipe or like an ingredient list, you know, like, mm. uh, okay, like here's a crazy synth sound we heard on this pop thing. And here's like this road sound we heard on Bitches Brew. And here's, you know, this, like what what would happen if you just kind of changed all the instruments that you would typically approach a song with and like tried to make them work? Like maybe some of them wouldn't, but like I feel like it'd be a pretty cool experiment to go into yeah. an album with like, hey, let's let's change almost everything we typically do and kind of yeah. put ourselves in a new box and I think it's find true. our way out of it or whatever. I, I, I think it's, it's that it's like being so comfortable with yourself that you know that like, okay, if I listen to this type of music, which might not be my favorite thing in the world, 
uh, it's not like I'm going to start playing that type of a music, but I'll be influenced by it in a certain way that will come yeah. out in with my own tastes. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, does that make sense? Uh, yeah. I'm trying to think of an example, like, I don't know. Well, I, actually, not that he doesn't like this type of music because he probably does and that's cool. But uh, we reminds me of like the auto-tune thing on all, all the Bone of Ear records. Like right. that, that, that yeah. sound was so not cool before he made it cool. <laughs> you know, like, right. I mean, I, it was cool like in that, like on the popular realms of like, you know, popular culture, but it wasn't, it wasn't like an artistic, this, I, I don't know how to explain it. It's like when he came out with those records and made them sound like that, it was all of a sudden, like, I don't know, it was way more, uh, uh, emotional sounding of, and, and, uh, effect than it had been before in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, like, I can't remember what that, was it Wolves or something? But it was like, no one had done that on a lo-fi no. folk record recorded yeah. in a cabin, you know, like, yeah. um, you know, I mean, uh, along those lines, like, I've been listening to that Daft Punk record a lot, the Random Access Memories one that, like, had all those Pharrell singles on it. It's freaking amazing. Like, I've been listening to that, like, every day, and... um Man, Is that the I'm one really... that has the big hit on it that they had? I forget what it's called. Uh, yeah, Get Lucky. I try to skip that track because it, yeah, just, that I've heard track it too many times. Yeah, gives me PTSD of being in my yeah. 20s and playing wedding gigs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it gives everyone PTSD. But uh, no, but the rest of the album is just so freaking good. Like, And I think it won like album of the year or something. And like the third track, like you would, all right, you would, okay. If you heard that single and you haven't heard the rest of the album, you would just think like, Oh, there's some like dumb pop songs on here or whatever. But like the third track is like, it kind of reminds me of something like off the air record where it's like this arpeggiated synth thing happening. But then there's this dude just like talking over it who like invented that sound and he's just talking about when he invented that sound and that's the song. And it's like, it follows like kind of this like banger of a like dance track. And then there's this track of this guy talking and then the next track is like really moody and like dark. And it's just like, this is cool. And when I read about how they created it, I thought it was a really great process where they wanted it to feel like, Fleetwood Mac and like Michael Jackson's like beat it and all this kind of stuff. And they literally just went and got the people that played on that and like had them play certain grooves that they had programmed. So it's all like live instruments, but then instead of like programming the drums, they took these live drums and treated them like a drum machine and like create, like moved them all over the place and created a song. But it, it kind of feels like a live band, but it's not like, Anyway, mm. so all that to say, cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. If I just lived in one genre, like I wouldn't be exposed to all these different kind of, yeah, totally ideas that are inspiring. Um, yeah, That's and really to cool. circle back to the Nigel Godrich thing, he talked about that on Paranoid Android of like he'd worked in a studio with like some pop producer who was talking about like, all right, like we'll put down a Lindrum, but then we'll play. Uh, live percussion over it to give it some kind of feel and like that's how they did the first half of paranoid android and i've always listened to that like this is so weird that they're doing like latin percussion like i never would have thought of that and then Mm -hmm. to hear where that idea came from it's like 
Oh, and he wasn't even sure that was a good idea. It was just like, hey, let's just try this and see if right. we get something. Yeah. And then it ends up being like one of the best songs on the album, you know? Yeah. So, so good. Nice. Anyway. Yeah. So. Well, closing thoughts. Be yourself. Be yourself. <laughs> and also I want to go make a record for like six weeks straight and just yeah. live it. Oh, I don't even man. care where it is. I just want to, pe- I just want people to be focused. I'm just so tired of working in little spurts and then everyone going back to their, life and then like having yeah. to send them dropbox mixes like i yeah. just want to make it yeah. together yeah so i want to do it in a beautiful location yeah Everybody. that'd be nice too <sighs> a lot of windows yeah anyways i'm about to go sit in a windowless theater for the next year <laughs> 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 <So. laughs> all right we'll have fun with that it was uh, good chatting this week good chatting to you too we'll see you guys next week thanks for tuning in and uh so long so long thank you so much for joining us on this episode of music production talks if you're enjoying this podcast and are finding it to be beneficial for your growth as a musician we would really appreciate a subscribe and a positive review on whichever platform you use for streaming Reviews and subscribes help us grow the show and rank higher in podcast search engines. Thanks so much again, and we'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.